growing up, I went to a rather large church uh, by the name of Kentwood Community Church. And um, Josh and I, that's where Josh and I actually met. And every Father's Day, KCC started to have this new tradition. And it was a tradition where the whole entire worship set, not just the band, but everything, the band, the, the speaker, everything, the camera, everything was operated by men on Father's Day. And it was this really unique environment and atmosphere that would happen. And, and I'll never forget this one Father's Day. Uh, the worship pastor there, his name is Brant. He's a good friend of mine. He led this special offering song. And it's actually a Rodney Atkins country song. Do we have any country fans? Very few of you. I'm not a country guy. Um, but this song is called Watching You. Does anybody know this song? I think it's Rodney Atkins. I could be wrong on that. I don't really know. I don't listen country. But here's the interesting thing about this song. The song starts out, and it's all about this dad, and he's singing about his little boy. And it starts out where the dad's painting this picture, driving through town, just my boy and me, with his Happy Meal and his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have his toy till his nuggets were gone. I like identify with that now as a dad, because I'm like, Man, I like get those Happy Meals and I take the toys out. And I also take out the French fries. And I'm like, y'all can't get your fries till the nuggets are gone, right? And then all of a sudden, it continues on this first verse where it says, a green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and muttered under my breath. And what's interesting is this. It, it goes on and he says, his son then with his Happy Meal and his orange drink covering his lap, it says a four-letter word that started with S, and I was concerned. And he turns and he looks in the rearview mirror and he says, Son, where'd you learn to talk like that? And then the chorus comes. Dad, I've been watching you. <laughs> and I'm like, man, this kid's smart. He's been watching Dad. And here's what's interesting is we started out this series and I started to talk about that. There's a reality that kids, young and old alike, they watch and they mimic what they see, what they hear, and everything in life. I shared about some of the little things that Kenny and Dory are picking up on from Courtney and I. Kenny's picking up on dad's road rage. I'm working on it. You know, they're picking up on little, like, sayings and all that other stuff. They're picking up on actions that we do. They are watching and they mimic what they see. We talked about not just our language and our actions, but also our habits. And here's what's interesting is that kids take mental notes, believe it or not. And as part of that, that means they're going to imitate and take notes of things like what is consuming your time. They're going to take a mental note of what consumes your mind. They're going to take a mental note of what do you give most and the majority of your attention to as well. And they're going to model that too. This message is going to kind of come still and resonate deep with my youth pastor heart. I'm just going to give that kind of stamp to start out. Is that okay? If it's not, I'm sorry. But I want to show this picture real quick. It's a picture of two towers. We all can see this very clearly, right? And if you look, there's this little jar with about 40 or 50 ping pong balls. And then there's this tower 
with approximately 3,000 ping pong balls. I would hate to be the intern that had to fill these two. Okay? My question is this, though. Do we understand what this image represents? Ponder it for a moment. This little jar, approximately 50 or so, give or take, ping pong balls, represents the amount of hours that a child will spend within the church walls, roughly, per year. That large one represents the amount of hours that a child will roughly spend, on average, in your home. Do we understand the dynamic of this image? Today we're going to talk about a, a parenting style that this image is very important for. Because today we're going to look at this image of, of hours per year and 3,000 in your house compared to 50 in the church walls, give or take. My question ultimately will we'll start to go similar to this is where do you think a child will gain more and learn more about Jesus? Here or in your house? I'm, I'm going right for it today. I'm, I told you this was Youth Pastor Heart. If this was like Youth Pastor Sunday, this is a message I would have preached, and I have. The reality is this, is where do we really in our world believe that children are going to learn more about Jesus? The church or the house? And I want to be clear here, as a church, as a church, we want to partner with you. We want to partner with you. We want to equip you. We want to empower you and encourage you to parent to the best of your ability. But I'm going to be very clear as well, and I know this might ruffle feathers, and to be quite honest with you, I think that's okay. It's not my job to parent your child. It's my job to encourage, equip, and empower parents, including myself and my wife, to do the best we can to teach our children about Jesus in their own homes. You see, the number one disciple-making place is in the home. It's not the church. It's not the school, it's not the Christian school, it's not the culture, it is in your house. Your child will be most discipled in your house, at your dinner table, not the schoolroom. Your child will be most discipled in your yard playing catch, not the daycare center. Your child will be most discipled out on the back deck or the front porch, not the internet or the latest tablet. Your child will be most discipled in those later years in life, on those late night conversations, maybe on the floor as you are talking and processing through stuff, not in the text messages back and forth with their friends. Your child will be most discipled in your house. Plain and simple. Parents, we are the primary disciple makers of our children. That's what today's message is about. And it might make some of us uncomfortable, and I'm actually really okay with that. We are the primary disciple makers of our children. And I think this is very clear from the very, very beginning. In Deuteronomy, we're going to look at this text in a hot second here. In Deuteronomy, we're going to dive into it. It's a very short few verses that we're going to look at. But this verse, these verses are super rich, I believe, in how we are called to live and model and, and preach and talk about Jesus to our kids. 
And this is what it says in Deuteronomy. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands, wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is a very, very, very important text. In the first few verses here, verses 4 and 5, it would be known as the Hebrew Shema. And this would be a, a, uh, a deep, deeply resonated um, confession of faith for the Jewish people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God. The Lord is one. It would be a confession that ever since a, a very young age, kids would grow up learning and reciting. It would be deeply rooted within them. It would be very deep roots of their faith and of their identity and who they are. To love God with all we have and nothing is excluded from that. But then it goes on in verses 6 through 9 and it says these commands must be on our hearts. Why? Because whatever you put on your heart, whatever is in your heart will flow through your mouth and flow through your actions. Whatever is on your heart will be conveyed to your kids as well. And when it talks about in this text, it talks about binding them on your hands and your head. They would use these little boxes with these leather straps and they would wrap these leather straps on their hands and in the box would be a parchment paper of scripture. And in this, this act, what they would do is they would walk around and be binded to their hand or sometimes if it was on their hand, they'd press it on their forehead. It'd be a way for them to continually remind themselves and remember this Shema, this deep confession and other scriptures that they hold close. It'd be a physical reminder of who they are and whose they are, but it'd also be a physical reminder of what we are called to do. To teach them to your children, to repeat them, to do these things. But that would lead me to the question as I think about this text. It's a simple question really, but it's a question that gets to the heart of, I think, our culture today. What is the one thing that we have bound to our hands and our hearts? If we were to walk around with something bound to our hands or, or on our, our foreheads, what would the one thing be? If our kids, if we were to survey our kids, what would the one thing be that they said, yeah, that's the thing that consumes our mind in their time all the time? That's the one thing that they put above everything else. What is the one thing that is bound to our hands and our head? Do we bind, ask your teacher, ask your youth pastor that question? They can help you figure it out. Is it maybe for some of us, how about just check it out on Google and your tablet and you'll find what you're looking for there? For others of us, maybe it's the question, not now. I'm busy. Come back later. What about, hey, I see you struggling in that. Let's figure this out together. Let's go to God in prayer. What is the one thing that if our kids were to look at us that we would have almost tattooed on our forehead, bound to our hands and on our head? What is the one thing that 
we have iterated over and over and over again to our kids. Because I think our culture has allowed us to have this mentality that whatever struggle our kid is going through right now, it is somebody else's job to figure it out, not mine. And I want to be very clear. That is a very dangerous mentality to have. Because when we start to think about this, when we are saying that, ah, man, my kid has this issue, I'm just going to drop them off somewhere and then pick them up when they're fixed, we're starting to see our kids no longer as people, as kids, but rather as problems. When a kid believes that they are a problem rather than a valued kid in the family, man, I think that's when we start to see more and more struggles and hardships and pain being shown in life. Our kids were never designed to be problems, by the way. They've always been beloved children. And sometimes our world has said, well, they just have this issue. Drop them off to the professionals let them fix them up, and pick them up later. We turn into what, what we call dry cleaner parents. Believe it or not, I've only used a dry cleaner one time in my life. And it was for a suit. And it's only because I don't remember what was spilled on it, but it, something spilled on it and it smelled horrible. And so I dropped it off the dry cleaner, and they were like, yeah, just come back in like a day or so and it'll be all set. And I'm like, oh, this is great, Right? And I go pick it up, and it smells so fresh and so clean, and they like, I don't know what, not iron, I don't know what, it just looked good. It looked really good. And, and here's the reality. I think we've adopted some ways, our culture has adopted some ways this mentality, especially when it comes to parenting. I'll drop them off, you get them cleaned up, you get them fixed, make them look good, and then I'll just come back and pick them up nice prepackaged, and I'll pay whatever it takes. I told you early on that I'm going to share a little bit from Youth Pastor Days. I cannot begin to tell you some of the conversations I used to have of parents. Kyle. Kyle. I busted my son looking at porn. Can you, like, make him stop? And when you do, just let me know. Just figure that out. Can you figure that out for me? Or, or these are legit conversations, by the way, with parents. Kyle, uh, listen, um, <laughs> we were out for a nice long getaway, like long weekend getaway. We came home a little earlier than what my kids thought, and there was a party that happened. Beer everywhere, alcohol everywhere. Um, so my kid's been drinking pretty regularly on the weekends. Can you, do you know someone who can make them stop? Because I don't want, I don't, I don't want to get messed with that. That's awkward. Or, or last one, true conversations multiple times, pastor of a high school or middle schooler, Kyle, look, my son and daughter keep sleeping around. Can you have that conversation with them? Can you have the conversation of why they shouldn't be doing that? And some of those dangers or whatever that go with that? Because that's like an awkward conversation. And 
you're the professional with this stuff, right? And, and I'll be very honest. When I first was a youth pastor, I was fresh out of college, okay? Here's what they don't tell you in college. Youth ministry college, okay? They don't teach you some of this stuff. They're just like, oh, yeah, you're going to deal with it. And you're like, yeah, I know I'm going to deal with it because, like, I lived that. But then, like, the honest moment comes where a parent looks at you and says, Kyle, can you have my son or daughter stop sleeping around? And you're like, huh? You want, you're trusting me with that conversation? I just had that conversation myself, like, a few years ago about what the birds and the bees were. You know what I'm saying? It's awkward. But here's the reality. We've outsourced it. We've outsourced it because that's what we do with everything. And here's my, here's my dynamic that I started to understand with some of these conversations, not all of them, some of them. Is, is the mom and dad who would come home and see their kid with this party and all this beer and everything were the same parents that would look at their child and say, well, it's totally cool if you do it as long as I'm home. Or the same parents that would call their 16, 17-year-old son or daughter come pick them up because they're too impaired to drive. The mom or dad that would look at me and say, hey, can you put this blocker on my kid's iPhone or iPad because they're looking at pornography. It's the same mom and dad, though, the same dad that late at night would escape his own bed and sit on the couch and look at it. And one night, little Johnny would get up to get a glass of water. And where do you think he saw his dad looking at it? On the couch. And I'll never forget the same mom that looked at me and said, Kyle, help my daughter to stop doing this. Is the same mom that was doing it herself. And we see it in our culture, and it's almost glorified in the movies and the television, the media that we watch. It's okay to do it as long as... As long as I'm home, as long as you don't get caught, we've outsourced parenting. You fix it, I'll pick it up later. You teach them, I'll just pay the fine. You do it, I'll reap the rewards. We've outsourced this parenting. I want to be very clear, though. These are just some of the families I've encountered. Because there's other families as a youth pastor that I encountered to hear about the stories of their children and, and the things that they're doing with their children as a family. To have a mom and dad look at me and be like, man, like some of the best time is actually in the mornings with my teenage kids. And I was like, what? Your teenage kids wake up in the morning? And they're like, yeah, but not just wake up, but they sit down and they do their devos with us. And they share about the, the conversation they have at the breakfast table, about what God is teaching them. Or the family I remember encouraging each other on big days of a big game or a big test with a prayer over a text message. There's a student, I've talked about him. Uh, he passed away just a few years ago. He tragic car accident. He was an incredible basketball player. But what was so incredible to me was not only his grandfather, but his sister would text him little prayers on big game days. Dear Jesus. And they'd type out this prayer and they'd send it to them. That's, that's incredible. Because those are little things that, that are starting to be passed down from generation to generation of why it matters to be in the faith and to know Jesus. My personal favorite 
My personal favorite. I'll never forget this. Walking with this young man, and he, he looks at me, and he, he just flat out says, he's like, Kyle, I'm addicted to pornography. And my first question is, do your parents know? And he's like, yeah. I was like, huh? He's like, yeah, I actually told him last night. And then Sunday morning, I came, and we're at church here, and I figured you should know too because you know, I'm helping out on the tech team or whatever, and like, I want to be held accountable. I was like, what did your parents say to you? Because this is not normal conversation most of the time. In the exact conversation, he goes, when I told my mom and dad, they sat me down and they said, let's get through this together. We can get through this, but it's going to take God to pull us through together. Those are beautiful stories of families, real families that have walked through struggles, but yet are showing and modeling what it looks like to not outsource parenting, but to dig in and get muddy and dirty. Because kids model what they see how they act, how they talk, how they think, everything they've learned. So it leads to a question of what is your spiritual formation idea? What is your spiritual formation plan for your family? And for some of us that don't have a family right now, this is still applicable. Trust me on this. Because what you start now, even as a single adult, even as a young teenager, even as a, a Hey, whatever it is, even as a grandma or a grandpa, what is your spiritual formation plan for your family? Because those things are all going to matter when you get married or when you have grandkids or even are just babysitting and hanging around other kids. What is the spiritual formation plan for your family? Because the, the bottom line is this, is parenting should never be, parenting should never be an accidental pursuit. It's not like you just fall into it and be like, oh, I, okay, here we are. It's never an accidental pursuit. We have to have a game plan. A, a few verses literally give us a game plan, by the way. Love the Lord your God. Bind these things on your head and your hands. Talk about them. Do them with them. Go back to this text. Go back to Deuteronomy. Look at exactly what it says here. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words. Wholeheartedly, don't leave anything undone. Commit yourself, your whole self, not just bits and pieces of it, your whole self. Repeat them again and again. Some of the greatest ways of learning stuff is repetition. Repeat them again and again. There's a reason why sports teams go, go over plays again and again and again and again. It's so that you learn them. It's natural for you to do them and talk about them. Talk about them. Talk about what God is doing in your life. Talk about what God has shown you in your life. Talk about where God showed up in a dynamic way in your faith. And invite your children into that journey. It's not anybody else's job to parent your child or make your child a disciple, a faithful follower of Jesus. It's ours. It's ours. We have a chance to show kids, all kids, regardless of if they are ours if they're a nephew or a niece, if we're babysitting, if they walk into our yard to get a ball. We have a chance to show kids that we value them by intentionally giving them our time and our attention and pouring Jesus into them. We get to see kids as people, not many problems to solve. They don't need us to drop them off and be fixed. They don't need that. What they need 
What they need is us to be present in life. And I know it. I, I can hear the struggles, right? I've been there. Youth pastor, I have my own kids. There are days where I wish I could outsource it. Guilty confession, I will be the first one to admit. There are days where it is tough. And I hear the excuses. Ah, Kyle, that takes time. Kyle, that takes energy. Kyle, that takes a Bible degree, and I don't have that. Kyle, that takes courage to talk about this stuff. Kyle, that takes, I don't even know where to start. That's what that takes. Where do I even start with this thing? And here's the reality. Here's the reality. We give all those excuses. Ah, it takes time. I don't have the degree. I don't know where to start. That's why we fall into this type of parenting, the, the, the dry cleaner parent. Because we may feel like we are inadequate. We may feel like we are unqualified. We may feel like we are <clears throat> unequipped to actually do this. So we just drop them off to the pros. Your athletic coach will teach you about character. Your youth pastor will teach you about Jesus. Your school teacher will teach you about morals. We'll just pass them off to the pros. And we'll pick them up later. Because we feel unqualified, we feel unequipped, we, we feel inadequate. My guess is that's probably true for some of us either in this room or even watching at home right now. So I want to bring us back maybe to a different story. To answer that question, if, if we feel those things, you ever think Mary felt that? Hold up. An angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to have the Son of God, and he's trusting you, a young teenage girl, to parent the literal living Son of God. Do you ever think Mary looked up at God the Father and was like, yo, God, you chose the wrong one. I don't have a Bible degree. I don't know this doctrine. I don't know how to teach the doctrine. God, I don't even know how to do the very basics of parenting. Have we ever thought that maybe Mary felt inadequate, unequipped, unqualified? Like, she's literally holding the one who created the whole entire universe in her arms right now. You think she feels adequate for that? Or... The one who is perfect is being fed and changed by the virgin mother of his. You think she feels qualified? Did she ever get it right? Did she ever ask, like, am I doing this right? What am I doing? I feel like I'm failing. I bet you Mary felt those exact same emotions. So how'd she get through it? She trusted God. She trusted God to walk, to work, and to speak into her life and through her so that she could parent Jesus the best that she could. And if Mary, the living mother of God, did that, shouldn't we be trying to have the same type of posture? I can only imagine some of those questions Mary had. And as part of that, how did she make it through? Well, she trusted God. I'm sure we feel inadequate. I'm sure we feel unqualified. But we can make it through when we put our trust in God, not in our own strength. We get to do our best and trust God with the rest, especially when it comes to this parenting. And again, if you don't have kids right now, maybe you're not even in a relationship right now, 
you get a chance right now to start to make that spiritual formation plan right now so that when that day comes, you're ready. You're ready for the game. We get to focus intentional time face-to-face with them, rubbing shoulders with them, getting messy in life and walking together. Parenting's messy. Parenting's messy. But we can still have fun playing in the mud with our kids. We can still have fun and enjoy it and learn as we go with it. I've shared a little bit about my growing up and what was really interesting to me is that when I started to date Courtney, I got to see a different model of fatherhood. And now that we've been married, it'll be eight years in September here, we've added um, a few squirmy bodies along the way. Um, so currently right now, as we are up at the cottage and everybody's there, all the whole extended family, her siblings and, and their kids and everything, there is currently a five-year-old. And then three three year olds right now. Like, we're nuts. And, and here's what's so beautiful about this is that during this time, Courtney's dad, after uh, usually the dinner or, or lunch meal, would do a devotional, just a, a short devotional and then prayer. And here's what's been so cool is that as we've added these squirmy bodies along the way, I've gotten to see a different model of fatherhood because he doesn't miss a beat. As Kendra gets up and has just sat for a whole entire meal and he's ate really good and he's done really good, Kenny can't sit still, if y'all have ever noticed that. So he gets up and he just needs to do something. And so what does her dad do is he invites Kendrick onto his lap. Ken, come help me read this. Kenny's three. He don't know how to read. But it's so beautiful as Kenny opens up with Pa. And Pa's reading the Bible, and Kenny acts like he's there too. Repeating word for word, half the time mispronouncing them, but it's beautiful. And then after Kendrick, our, our, my little nephew is up, and, and he invites, hey, come on, come on. Pa's got another leg. Come on. And we're going to pray together. I don't know if you've ever had the blessing of listening to some three-year-olds pray. But it is beautiful because you don't understand. It's almost like tongues. You don't really know what's going on, but they are just praying with everything within them. I've got to witness this, and I believe that what's so beautiful is that it's not just I I see this being played out from a pa to grandkid level, but even, even I'm sure growing up, just learning even more about their family, this was a regular occurrence in their house. You sat around with your brothers and your sisters. And you, you did a devotional together and you prayed together. And here's what's so cool about it is he teaches them. He teaches them that God loves them. As he's sharing this devotional, that God loves them, that God chose them to be with us, to be in our family. That God is, is hears their prayers. Here's their little voices being lifted up. He's teaching them that God enjoys and smiles at them, eating their dinner so good and cleaning their plate. My father-in-law models this, not just with his little grand boys, but with his own kids, he modeled this. And I truly believe that he felt this deep, deep sense that it was on him to show his family Jesus. 
Each and every day he, he had the opportunity to show his family Jesus. And I want to be able to say, like, I did that too. I did that too. I want to be able to say that my boys and their children would know Jesus because we took time, intentional time, to be in the Word together, to go to God in prayer together. The number one disciple-making place, the number one disciple-making place is in your home. At the end of the day, it's not the school, it's not even the church. It is in your home. We as a church want to partner with parents, and we will do our best to partner with parents to equip them and empower them. But at the end of the day, parents, it's on us to make disciples. It's on us. It starts with us making a conscious decision to put this into play each and every day. It starts with us to be the one to speak God's truth, his love, and his presence over our kids' lives every single day. So as we close today, as Josh comes up and, and the band comes up shortly after that, when? When is that? It's in those rocking chair moments. It's in those rocking chair moments with your young kids reading through the picture Bible. It's in those front yard moments, playing catch with your little boy or your little girl as you get to talk to them about Jesus. It's also on those car drives to the big games, to the friend's house, where you get to speak love into them and encouragement into them. But it's also in those learning to drive moments where your life as a parent exponentially starts, your prayer life exponentially grows. They see that too. And they don't take offense to it. <laughs> they, they're not going to forget those moments. They're not going to forget the moments where you took time to talk about Jesus in every single little moment of the day. Playing catch, rocking chair, driving. They're not going to forget those moments. Because as a teenager, as they're preparing to get married later on in life as a young adult, as a teenager after a big breakup, or as a teenager, as they're searching for the right college and they just feel distraught and broken at what to do, it's also in those moments where you may be sitting on the floor of your kitchen at 2 a.m. with your teenage son or daughter just crying and bawling because they are lost at what to do. And you get to sit with them and usher them into the presence of Jesus as you walk with them to the foot of the cross to lay down the burdens and fully surrender your whole entire heart and whole entire life. Right there in that moment together, they're going to remember those moments. Because we, parents, are the number one disciple maker for our children. So let's do our best at making disciples. Let's do our best. And when we fall short, when we fail, and when we struggle, let's trust God with the rest. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to just come, Lord, and even though it may feel like 
like almost this burden or weight of parenting that it feels so hard to bear, Lord. We know that you are a God who is also a father. And we trust you, Lord. We trust you. And so, Father, here in this moment, whether online, in person here, Lord, whatever things we may have walked in with that are just weighing us down and burdening us, Lord, I just take a moment right now to just fully surrender it to you. Father, whether that might be a weight of a parent of an older child right now and an adult child who just has strayed away and they feel this burden of what did I do wrong? We surrender that to you. Or whether that's a parent of a teenage child right now that things are going off the tracks and they don't know where to turn, Lord, and they just feel like they just can't get a win, we surrender that to you. Or the parents of school-age kids, Lord, of things are just kicking back up and things are just going hectic right now and they don't know what's going to happen with their school district in this upcoming year and everything just feels like there's this weight and this energy and buzz to it that is just killing us at every single opportunity and, and angle, Lord, we, we surrender that to you. For the moms and dads of toddlers and the, it, what it feels like the never-ending cycle of sleepless nights and struggles and cranky kids during the day, we surrender that to, do, to you in the name of Jesus. And for the mothers and fathers of little babies, they feel exhausted. First-time parents, maybe. And they feel like they're getting it all wrong. We surrender that to you. And Father, for those of us who maybe don't even have children right now, We surrender to you even our, our weight of we want to make sure that we are pouring into others' kids, loving them well, showing them you. So we surrender all the stress and the baggage that comes with that too. Father, in this moment, would you just hear our hearts as we just surrender to you everything, not just our parenting journey, but our journey in life brokenness, our struggles. Father, hear us as we just fall at your feet in your presence and full surrender to you.